Okay. Are you ready? Yep. I'm Amy Tang Zhao, a Chinese living in America. You want me to call you Amy, or do you want me to call you Tianyi? And I'm Meg, an American who is about to marry into a Chinese family. It allows people to have an eye into who we are as people and how we find our own identity in the world. We're the hosts of this vlog, a podcast that explores what it means to traverse between cultures and shares stories that intersect Chinese and American culture to interrupt cultural barriers and create connections. Hey everyone, we're super excited to be sharing this episode with you today. I know we've been gone for a hot minute. Life has been moving super fast. Amy and I again aren't even in the same country. We're recording from across the pond, which is becoming a normal for us. So, but we're making it work. And so, we actually recorded this episode a while back. The reason why it's so special and so unique, and just something that we're super excited again to share with you, is that it is our first episode featuring a guest. This is the Sparks' first episode featuring a guest. And from here on out, we're going to be opening up a larger conversation with others and inviting those who live lives continuously in between cultures to share their stories. When we first launched this podcast, you had an opportunity to hear our stories and our experiences crossing in between cultures. And now we want to share other people's stories. So our first guest, without further ado, I want to introduce her. Her name is Rachel Zhang. At the time of this interview, she was a managing editor for Zing Daily, a fashion industry publication focusing on the luxury market in China. And today, she now works as an editor for Vice Asia Pacific. The reason why I thought she would be a perfect first guest for the Spark, especially. When we decided that we want to start a new era, interviewing people whose experience involved several cultures, was because Rachel came to the states for school, and then she stayed for the job at Ding Daily in New York. That was why we met,、uh, and then she came back to China to focusing on something even cooler. She's very unique because, again, her experience, both academic and professional experience, extended through different continents and different cultures. And I could totally relate to her struggles. And yet, from my point of view, I see her thriving. So. I think it is our hope to turn the spark into a haven for those who not only struggle in between, you know, China and U.S. cultures, but more so multiple cultures in general. And we want to we want to inspire more dialogues, and we want to present more examples of people who really make it work. Uh, or not. So people who are really thriving in between. Cultures, yeah. I mean, it's it's thriving, but at the same time, we all know that it's not the easiest thing to do. And Rachel also shared、right. a lot of her confusions and difficulties that she faced while juggling in between different cultures and trying、right. to make it work. And we know it is not always the easiest thing. So yeah, without further ado, um, here's the interview with Rachel from months back. So thank you, Rachel. Thank you for your patience. Uh, <laughs> and I hope everyone enjoyed the interview. Yeah, so I'm going to kick it off.、Mm-hmm. And would you mind doing a little bit 
of self-introduction that we knew that we already talked, covered a lot of your life journeys, but um, would you mind Mm -hmm. just tell us, give us a little brief introduction and how your journey has been like? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'll I'll try to make it short. (laughs) So my cultural journey, I think, started when I was 16. Uh, I went to a culture or high school exchange program. So from Beijing and drop in the middle of nowhere in Iowa. And (laughs) it was, it has its ups and downs. I was like the only Asian, pretty much the only Asian in that small town in Iowa. And I stayed there for high school and uh, saw the experience was interesting and want to keep continuing it. So I studied in the kind of local liberal arts college uh, which the education itself uh, is another kind of a mind-blowing journey. Uh, and I think it's quite unique for someone who like study abroad in that kind of cultural environment. And then afterwards, I really want to go to the big city and explore what's out there. Um, and uh, yeah, I went to San Francisco, New York. Uh, eventually, I think find this job where, where I really connected. Basically, I write about the business of uh, fashion to foreigners to understand um, especially the cultural the cultural and consumption trend in China so I saw basically I was like you know quote-unquote translator of uh, Chinese consumption trends and a lot of just uh, behavior bigger economic trends as well and uh, I love that aspect of the job um, and uh, now I come back to Beijing, I think about a year ago. Uh, man, it has been that long. And uh, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting coming back. Uh, I, would, I, I thought I would have a bigger kind of reverse culture shock, but I, I honestly don't think so. It has been a really surprisingly smooth journey uh, since I come back. Yes. I met you when I was in New York. I met you, (laughs) you were the guest speaker, one of the guest speakers. And I just thought you were really cool. And I was at the time where I thought I really needed a job. So I reached out to you and then I figured that we were really on the same boat. And it was, it was a very natural conversation because it just felt like um, you understood where I was at. And um, seeing your journey really empowers me and especially seeing that you were reporting fashion industry in the States and then you went back to China and you were still doing the same and following you on different platforms and I saw your viewpoints on different things and I think you will be a great guest. I mean, I never really have a clarity in moment where I figure out my identity <laughs> per se and also my journey or career I think I'm constantly exploring so it was refreshing to meet you and kind of like going over it um and uh just really talk frankly about it and I find that was so refreshing and we connected on so many level and we're both Beijing nerd <laughs> yeah we're all from Beijing we're all oh from Beijing <laughs> It's just a mother tongue. It sounds great. And we're all in New York. Uh, we share an interest in fashion. And uh, we have this immense, um, immense uh, interest in culture. 
differences. So uh, yeah, yeah, I was really happy to meet with. Yeah, amazing. I mean, um, I know you for quite a while now. Uh, and, you know, my co-host, Meg, it's actually her first time talking to you, meeting you. It's my first and, time, yes. Yeah, and she <laughs> yeah. is actually on her way to enter a new culture. Oh, which is, that's exciting. That's, that's scary. A little yeah, bit. <laughs> that's, what's, that's what's so fascinating for me, I think, to talk with you. Because when I met Amy, I yeah. was literally just entering for for the first time into this new culture and adding it to my, my life and my identity. And Amy had already been, um, through that kind of transition on the other side, having gone to America. Mm -hmm. But what's so fascinating about being able to talk with you is that you are two steps ahead of me and one step ahead of Amy in the sense that you left your culture, came to America, and now you've gone back. So you've come full circle now. So that's what I think is yeah. so fascinating for me to talk with you today about that, um, what yeah, that was like for you. Yeah. Is there any comparisons that you can draw between the transition that you made when you um, went, came to America from China? Is there any similarities or differences between each transition going to America and then coming back to China? Is there any parallels that you can draw between those two experiences? That's a really good question. Uh, I think is to find out uh, what is my stable, like what is my kind of uh, the thing that holds me who I am in throughout this kind of chaotic journey. Um, I think it's also finding out the community, you know, because when I went to through the high school exchange program, I basically went with like a, a group of uh, kids that shared a similar background with me, who also, you know, 16 from Beijing and very curious, dropped in the middle of nowhere in America to experience authentic American culture. Uh, and I really bonded in that community. I think that community gave me a lot of support. And that was the big thing. Uh, and then coming back here, I have a group of friends who shared similar experiences and, you know, and they also made similar journey. And in that community, I think I find more bonding through that. Um, uh, and also I think it's the figuring out what I really like and the career I want to make. Uh, before in college, uh, I, I was uh, working on a topic about third culture kids. It's basically someone who is like, you know, have their foot in different culture and they don't really belong to any of it. So they identify as a third culture and um, that identity, they can form with different people who, you know, not, doesn't necessarily have to be U.S., China, could be, you know, different country. So that belonging, um, I think studying it, understanding it was pretty helpful. And now coming back, you know, my career is all about this, uh, translator and I think that that's another stable for me um that make this journey uh, a smoother one and also I think that's a similarity at least I'm a pretty positive person so I, I see the positive spot um but it's it, it ha can be pretty painful actually um uh and why yeah. is that 
Uh, painful in the way is that you, despite all those groups, you're still on your own. <laughs> mm. Um, I I don't know how how has you guys' journey been like. I'm really curious. Uh, what was the ma- most painful part? I guess we're real talk now. <laughs> yeah. You want to go ahead, Mike? Yeah, I guess. I mean. For me, it's been the navigation of it all, but I feel like I've had a cheat sheet being friends with Amy, like literally meeting Amy right in the beginning of that transition has been so helpful. Yeah. Yeah, I say having, having another person or that community is definitely really helpful. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think like for me, I don't, I know very little of Mandarin of the other language. So I think I'm kind of in my own bubble during my transition if that makes sense. Um, yeah. so having okay. that, like not only like language, um, language translation, but also cultural translation translation has been very helpful with Amy, but yeah, I feel like, I feel like Amy, you can al- almost identify even more with like an actual in-depth transition in that regard, because I'm still in the beginning stages, but for you, you've been in it. I found it very interesting that Rachel said, you know, even though you found a community, you still feel like you are alone. Um, mm-hmm. That's just a truth because it's. I don't think I'm. I'm not sure. For example, Meg, right now that you found another person who's married to the Chinese, and do you think that you are not alone? You know, just put yeah. yourself in that position. Will you ever feel like you're not alone? I think um, it's 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 painful, but it's truth that even though no matter how many communities that we create on our own way to our journey, eventually it is still an alone journey. And, um, and then I want to like, I want to, I really, for me personally, my Mm -hmm. transition has been painful. Um, just holding on to different identities. Well, a part of me feels so proud of having different identities and also a part of me feeling that I'm losing everything because I wouldn't be able to hold on to anything. Both of you have made different transitions into different cultures and then back again um, for you, Rachel. And so, but before all those transitions were made growing up, and I'd love for both of you to answer this. Do you think that Western culture had an influence on you long before, um, long before you ever came to America? Um, Was there an influence from across the pond? For me, um, Disney, still mad in love. Die hard fan, um, <laughs> yeah, but it, it is, uh, and I think by yeah. saying "quote unquote" Western culture, I think I'm overgeneralizing a lot of things because not everything is Western culture. Where is West? Um, True. It, yeah. So I, I I don't like the word, but I me myself is feeding into that. Anyways, uh, growing up, <laughs> um, <laughs> growing up, I. Again, Disney, big part. And I think all the princes are, you know, white European looking dude. Um, True. And that's a big part. And also, um, it's just movies and cartoons in general, because I think Mm -hmm. a lot of those child-friendly content were created by countries where there are a more mature industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, creative industries. So I think, mm-hmm. so I think there is a magic kingdom in my mind that it is better 
uh, because again, there's kids cartoon over there. Um, not that we don't have it, but we don't have. I remember the first time. One example is that I remember the first time I watched High School Musical. Blew my、mm-hmm. freaking mind. Blew my freaking <laughs> mind.、Uh, for the longest time, I thought it's it's not okay to like、yeah. someone、mm-hmm. because if you like someone, you're expect. I'm expected to be expelled. Uh, I'm expected to have teacher、wow. parent. When、learning. when was this? High school or primary school?、Mm, the first time when I watched it was in elementary school, sixth grade.、Um, okay. But I mean, of course, at that age, you already developed. A, I already developed the feeling of you know I'm curious about the other gender, and I saw Troy and Gabriella falling in love and、uh, in front of me as a student because I just feel like it's never. Okay to be openly in love like that, and、mm-hmm. I always felt I was the outcast of liking other, you know, other people or having those feelings. And everyone believed it shouldn't be something that is permissible. Yeah, like maybe some people had a relationship, but、um, you, it was always supposed to be under the ground, and it wasn't、yes. something that you sing about or dance about. Yes. Yes, yes, and seeing it on the screen, it was so empowering. My first thought wasn't that okay. Now I'm going to tell this guy I like him. No, my first thought is it was normal. <laughs> What I've been through was normal,、yeah. and it was validated by this production from the other culture. So the other culture、mm-hmm. gets me more.、Mm-hmm. So you felt then, that simple. So then you felt that that culture that got you more. It, it was feeding into the idea that then maybe it is superior or how. Is that it's closer? You... It's closer to home. Closer to home. Okay.、Mm, very interesting. interesting. That's very interesting. Yeah. How are you? Yeah, I think that expressiveness and、uh, that validation of like how you feel is okay, and it's okay to talk about it and to to be so joyful and to sing about it. That was very attractive. That that sounds like very attractive to you.、Um, And I can resonate on that. I think, like, just growing up watching a lot of、uh, rom com or like、uh, coming out of age teenager movies is like a big thing for me. And、uh, I just have this illusion of like American high school, no, <laughs> and it's same, kind of like same. really, <laughs> it's same. kind of like Mean Girls, you know, type of style. Like, there's like different groups, and <laughs> it's pretty cliche. But I totally went into. The high school in Iowa, and expecting people will be like that. <laughs> yeah. So, can we touch on that for a second? Because I would love to know what your idea of what American high school was going to be like before you got there. I would love to hear, like, what was there anything that was especially appealing about American high school that you thought you were going to have as an experience when you got there, or what was that? What was that all like? What were your thoughts about it before? Um, I remember one little thing that、uh, I have this shiny purse bag, and I carry it around. I thought, <laughs> you know, from watching movies, that's what everyone does. Yeah.、Um, and it was so stupid. And then I like the first day of school, I went in, and everyone was wearing like those backpacks, and I was、oh. like, "What am I doing?" <laughs> <laughs> and then I remember at some point people were like, "Oh, Rachel, you're so rich." I'm like, "What?"、Oh. 
And I guess it's the way that I dressed or the way that I saw it, people would dress. Um, uh, and I remember, like, at the end of the day, I just put my, like, shiny purse away from me, like, locked in the closet. I'm like, no, don't do this. Just blend in. Just blend. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. Don't live in that stereotypical American high school life where, like, oh, the cool girls are like this. and But I did thought there was, like, different cliche groups, you know. They're definitely the more nerdy group. And then, you know, the the kids that kind of lost <laughs> skater boys and, um, you know, the, the academics, someone who can do it all. It is more obvious in the U.S. And I remember it gives me this feeling of feeling so not of free, so not free, so less freedom. Because really? in China, we are, yeah, I guess we are more judged by our grade. And I'm so, like, uh, used to that being my KPI or that being my right. judgment on my character. And that just flips completely when I get to American high school. I'm like, look, guys, like, I read this really great essay and my peers don't give me validation on that. So who am I now? Wow. Um, and, uh, yeah, I remember feeling, oh, it's so not free. And wow, I didn't adjust <laughs> that quickly, actually. Um, I mean, that's yeah. definitely an interesting moment because, again, that's another in-between moment where you, where you run into this experience that you have and all of a sudden you have that question of who am I? If I don't have this, who am I, you know? And um, yeah. it's very interesting to hear your experience because I feel like if the roles were reversed and I was going to a Chinese high school, China, I mean, yeah. I obviously like that ship has sailed that I'm way too old for that now, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> uh, but that would be a definitely, I've never thought about it before, but it would be interesting to have all the focus on grades, even though like in my family, that was the focus yeah. for me growing up. But there was, there was merit to like how you presented yourself and who you were in the community and things like that. But if it was just my grades, I think I would run into the same question of who am I, you know, because yeah. I don't know if, I don't know. That's, that's just, that's very interesting. So it, I can't, yeah, I can't imagine any, you know, American person coming to China for high school. I'm curious if you guys can like interview someone and I'm so curious about their experience. Yeah. yeah. So for you, Rachel, you were just talking about how you felt like you had less freedom when you came to America. But I mean, so does that, does that leads me to believe that you felt like you were going to have more freedom when you came? Is that true? Yes. 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 I definitely picture, you know, a, a scenario where I can do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. I can hang out with who I want and I, I would have this new identity. And I, I didn't know what, how to narrate like being a cool kid, but I thought I would be like <laughs> one of the, the cool kid. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely, I remember, oh, talking about, um, movies or, uh, Western culture, um, you know, product that influenced, um, uh, I think there's a TV show called, uh, Lizzie McGuire, oh. and I remember watching it, and I remember, oh, like, I... yeah, oh, you know, you have watched it? 
No, it's no, one of my favorites um, growing up. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, me too. Oh my god, they just did a Instagram um, live about how they all sit together and read one of the episode where they yeah. went out to get bras, and I was like, oh my god, all the feels. Yes. But um, <laughs> anyway, so it is. So for for your background, it's like a TV show where it's like all. I think they're in primary school or like elementary school, pretty young. Yeah. And they're just going through the adult phase, you know, of like having to buy bras, that type of a yeah. stage in their life. Um, and I remember watching it and what was fascinating about that, like she has similar like questions that I had in life, but she really was like really outspoken. She has this like another character cartoon character Mm -hmm. that speaks very bluntly and uh questions all her thoughts and I was like wow like you can do that like she really wondering out loud of all those questions and I really respect that and I was like wow like I have I can have that independence and that sense of reflection if I do go to the U.S. totally and uh um wow that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, check check it out, Amy. I'm curious. You'll <laughs> like, like it, Amy. It's, yeah. I mean, it's it's a TV show for kids, but it's great yeah. for adults too. It's explored so many interesting issues, and um, it does. It yeah. sounds amazing because the thing is, I, I mean, from your conversation, even though I haven't watched it, and from our, you know, from sharing what shows or influence that we had when we were growing up. I realize instead of that we feel closer to quote unquote Western culture or American films in general, I think it was actually the the courage of speaking out loud yeah. to to yes. express oh to not. Yes. I think that's the part that we're missing because oh um, yes, we 100%. we didn't do that. We didn't. We weren't. It was either not allowed because no one's gonna stand in front of you and tell you you're not supposed to do it. That will be kind of. That would be the true nightmare. And I, I, I think a lot of people hold that standard against Chinese schools where we were told, yeah. like, there's a person right in front of me telling me that, no, you're not supposed to. No, it's not like that. It's more subtle. Yeah, It's right. really yeah. just, more oh, subtle. you're not supposed to talk about, you know, what color your bra is in front of a bunch of people, a bunch of girls. Um, it was really more like that. It's very subtle, and uh, and I think, in fact, I don't think Chinese culture is the only one. I think a lot of cultures are like that, right. but um, and which is the reason why a lot of people resonate with a lot of American films because of the outspoken spirit, and then the the mm-hmm. it's okay to be a teenager and have those confusions, like you do. And I think that's why we feel, oh, this is what we want, mm-hmm. and this is why we yeah. relate. I guess that's the cultural difference. It's like uh, being outspoken is not awarded per se or not being yes. seen as cool in Chinese yeah. culture or Chinese teenager culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you think it's, it's more like, better now? I think it is. But in general, I think the culture, it doesn't award outspokenness. Yeah. If you are outspoken, you're kind of the, how do you say, you're the one that's like like to show off. And that it's like too entitled to your own opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think still, that's like one of my stereotype about American culture or Americans in general is that sometimes people talk about their feelings too much or some people, mm-hmm. sometimes they really, you know, hang on to what they believe in and they're really outspoken about it and they speak over 
other people. I mean, I have that incidence before where I felt like, oh man, I really don't like it. And I don't enjoy this part of culture that appealed to me so long ago uh, when I first entered in. Um, So in center. Sorry, keep going. Oh yeah. 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 So in essence, I was, I, my next question was going to be, did you ultimately end up, I mean, through college and everything like that, find the America that you thought you were going to experience when you first got here? That sense of freedom, that the idea of America, did you end up finding that America or did you, or was it never what you thought it was going to be? That's a big question. I mean, I think I left feeling disappointed a little bit, actually. Mm. Um, yeah. A year ago, I come back. I feel relieved uh, now coming back to China and connected with those people share a similar background with me. I don't really belong, you know, to China or America. And I'm comfortable with that mm. position of myself. And I left disappointed because... Um, I think again, the self-centeredness, I think intrinsic into the culture, Mm -hmm. to that individuality, individuality in that such a, in the other side of the spectrum. And I don't like it when it's people appear in that, that spectrum and it's such a turn off. Um, and, uh, yeah. And also, you know, the virus situation, how Mm -hmm. seeing how the U S government have reacted, and how people, you know, still go out and right. don't really regard other people's uh, concern about staying safety, uh, staying safe, or you know, young people grabbing all the groceries in the shopping, in the grocery store, and not leaving much for the older. I don't know. Maybe my mind is just focusing on that uh, less positive side of the culture because I've left it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, but this sentiment has echoed through my friends, uh, yeah. especially during the COVID-19 time. Mm-hmm. I think the COVID-19 is really exposing the not so pretty sides of many things, especially in America. Yeah. Um, really there's this display and it's, I feel like I, I'm blessed with with the perspectives that I've been Mm -hmm. given because of the experiences I've been blessed with in my life, um, which I think allows me to see outside. But there are so many people that it's they're what what you're talking about. Their individuality, individuality. Their oh, this is my freedom. This is my you know all that kind of. It's all being put on display. Um, through this and it's kind of the nasty underbelly of the culture here Um, and I can't imagine what that would look like to somebody who's on the outside I mean for me it's I I'm not on the outside I'm inside on American culture and it's a little cringeworthy so I mean like it it's it's understandable that um, that that is something that you that was a turnoff for you in many, many regards, because that has always been there. It hasn't just been because of the virus. And so I think it's definitely easier for someone on the outside coming in to pick up on that more immediately than I think we are ourselves. Um, So it's very interesting to hear your take on that. And I mean, you said you feel like such, 
you've had, um, you feel like you've had experienced such a relief going back to China. Can you take us further into that? Like what feels yeah. like, what feels like a big relief for you when you get back to That's, China? Yeah. And it That's doesn't also matter. my question. Yeah. yeah. Like how big or small is just when you came back to China, what were the first thoughts through your head about that gave you relief, I guess, in thinking about that and knowing that you're there now? Um, I think it's the relief that I'm finally home and I'm so away from a culture that I supposed to be so familiar. And now I'm learning from an almost outside perspective. And that is pretty refreshing to learn because I've been kind of, I would say, whitewashed for a long time. And then coming back and picking up on all those cultural cues, uh, whether it's food, how people behave, um, that just excites me. Um, it's like relearning my culture. And if, for example, very simple, like I think if it were, if it were five years ago, I come back here, I still find people are kind of rude or jumping into the lines. And now it's almost non-existence in China. And I think just like in general, how polite and respectful people have been in my regard in the public space has been so much better, you know? Uh, I think that has to do with economic development and uh, um, consciousness level of the whole country. I think I, I can see it in my own eyes, mm. uh, simple things like that. And I'm really proud of it. Um, I think now it's cool <laughs> to say, you know, you're a Chinese person. And uh, I find it's there, it's an uprising of national, uh, you know, like this, this sense of uh, proudness among our generation and even the younger one. Um, yeah, and I'm really excited. And also for my work, right? I cover about this market. I haven't really been in this market for so long. Right. So naturally, uh, I think the curiosity side of me want to dig more. What is the real China? Uh, what what are people, you know, really buying and why they're really buying? Uh, well, like, for example, I cover luxury, right? Um, yeah. So luxury consumption, I it's contributed by Chinese a lot, a lot, and it's going to be more. And I see, to my surprise, luxury has always been a necessity uh, in China, I think, across the board, where it's not the case in the Western country. Mm. And that's very interesting. Uh, And then I think... uh, I think younger people have this uh, sense of appreciation of art and culture and cultural consumption. Um, You know, buying costs, buying, you know, streetwear toys. And uh, um, I think uh, those kind of a sense of like a little bit more sophisticated uh, art uh, purchase, which is kind of interesting, that interest in there. it's um, interesting for me to see. So fashion industry in general, how did it change from the time that you left China to what is it today now? Because you have a pretty good observation on the changing industry and how, like, I remember we talked a little bit before about, you know, showing yeah. more identity in 
the garment that you consume or in the way that you dress yourself. And I want you to elaborate a little bit more on your observations on the trend of today's youth. Again, I know you can't say for any everyone, but um, I remember you mentioned a little bit about you know the rise of um, Guo Chao, you know, which is the national fashion and all that kind of stuff. So, can you yeah. say a little bit about that? Um, yeah, I mean, to my surprise, I can just point out a couple of things that I observed, not from kind of a expert perspective, just something that I, I see it in everyday life. Um, for example, like people wear Hanfu. Uh, Hanfu is a traditional Chinese clothes that's supposed to wear in the Han Dynasty, I guess. And it's like long dress and with flares uh, and a pretty odd looking <laughs> if you saw someone <laughs> in uh, America. But uh, I see young people wearing it and I think that's the sense of outspokenness of saying, oh, we're proud of this uh, heritage. And I, I was, it was refreshing to see, honestly, to see those younger people respecting the, the old culture. Uh, sure. And um, yeah, I think in general, aesthetic wise, people have, I think, better aesthetic right now. Uh, speaking as a fashion journalist <laughs> um, and I think people are more sure about what they like to wear. And uh, I think the fashion census in general has improved quite a bit, at least in Beijing when you walk on mm-hmm. the street. Um, yeah. Yeah. I have a quick question. I mean, based on the, like that touches on the fashion industry. I mean, as a Chinese female fashion journalist, do you feel like you're personally represented by the brands and trends that you've reported on? Um, because one thing that Amy and I have discussed, um, not even on the podcast yet, just in conversation is how there is a sense, like there's an idea of what, um, of what Chinese women and Chinese men look like in the media. And then there's actual, you know, like there's, there's a disconnect there almost like there's some cultural appropriation that can go on and things like that. So, I mean, I'm curious from your standpoint and personally, you report on probably like some of the biggest brands um, in the fashion industry. And do you feel like they, they represent you um, personally as a Chinese um, female fashion journalist? You mean, um, sorry, you mean the type of uh, advertising they put out to, to catering? Yeah, like the, the yeah, the advertising. I mean, there's been a few scandals in um the recent like just a couple of years mm-hmm. with um oh what were the Dolce brands? Gabbana. Dolce Gabbana. Mm-hmm. Wasn't Gucci one of them too or was it uh Zara? Or, uh, Zara, that's right. Zara, Prada, so half borderline. Prada, borderline. <laughs> yes. So I mean, we there's been some of those scandals in the past and recent recent past in the fashion industry. And I, I, I'm very curious from your perspective as someone who reports in the industry, um, if you feel like your culture, I mean, we're getting to the place now we're seeing more, um, Chinese, uh, models and, um, and all across the board, like around the world, I think that was when I was younger, that wasn't necessarily the case. I felt like it was, there was primarily just one, 
idea of what a model looked like. And now we're mm-hmm. seeing a lot more diversity, but I'm yeah. just curious for you, if you feel personally represented in the fashion industry. Um, I think, um, I think those ads are definitely, uh, I think someone from the outside of a culture seeing, looking in, um, because like most of the luxury brand, their headquarter makes the final decision. Mm-hmm. So that kind of tinted, tilted the lens of how they look at the Chinese culture and what's supposedly be the representation of, uh, catering to Chinese women. Um, and uh, I think in general, um, they have, um, like for example, like we talk about the Zara thing, right? Um, Amy, is that, are you referring to where one of the girls, she has a lot of freckles and mm-hmm. uh, basically Zara put out the ads of uh, featuring this Chinese woman. She, you know, her big hat shot of her having a lot of freckles mm-hmm. and uh, people are saying, oh, like, this is ugly or like this shouldn't be here. People are not she used to. She also a single eyelid. Single eyelid, of course. Um, yeah, I think I think those fashion, beauty standard, uh, how it portrays Chinese women are pretty Western, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Single eyelid, you know, maybe round face. Um, and... Uh, and uh, it's considered to be beautiful by Western culture, but <laughs> I don't think that's necessarily the case in China. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, and that considered as high fashion. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Why, why that's high fashion? That doesn't make sense, you know? Right. <laughs> that's just one aspect of fashion, but it's defined by the high powering luxury brand who think they have all the best aesthetic <laughs> um, right. they have. Um, but also, I think on the flip side, we see this traditional Chinese culture, uh, the, the standard Chinese beauty standard is the you know, big eyes and smaller face. And that's more Westerner. So <laughs> it's like a, such a paradox um, right. trying to cater in, in that beauty standard. Um, yeah, right. yeah, it's, it's very interesting because I think, especially in the fashion industry, we do, we do physically see that kind of display of Western dominance, um, mm-hmm. over the culture. I mean, Amy was describing to me not long ago about how when she was younger and she would see advertisements for different brands, it would always be some thin white model from across the mm-hmm. pond. And we got yeah. into talking about that because um, when I was younger, I had a very, like, very, very, very brief stint in the modeling industry. Um, oh, nothing, wow. <laughs> nothing big. But um, when I was here, like, like, when I was with an agency in the United States, um, it was just really, it's such a cut through industry. Um, not, I'm mm-hmm. happy it was brief, but during my time with the agency, they said, well, it's harder to get jobs when you're fresh, um, here in the United States, but we mm-hmm. would love to send you to Asia because we think that you would be very successful there. And I was 15 at the time, but, mm-hmm. and I didn't go, but, um, they, 
they said, because it's everything that they want. They want, they want to be tall. They want to have fair skin. They want to have light hair. And Mm -hmm. I, I remember I was so young. It didn't really like hit on me just how, how ironic it all was, but it was definitely something Mm -hmm. that made me question things because it was just fascinating to me that I could be so successful over in Asia. Um, but then it, I don't know. I just, I, I wonder what that does because I mean, and I think we're seeing what it does because of what you both are talking about, where there's an idealization of like bigger eyes and different things like that. But I think that Western culture, quote unquote, created that, you know what I mean? I think there's a, it comes full circle in a sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 When the industry is about appearance, everything can get political if we want it to yeah. be, but it doesn't. Exactly. The one thing that is interesting to me about all that though, is that there's such an idealization in Chinese culture or like that white models will be more successful. But here in America, like we were just touch- touching on earlier, like there's still a dominance of white models here in America too. Whereas like, mm-hmm. so we're not like, we don't idealize, I don't know, people or things that are different from us still, which is very, which is what kind of turns it on its side for me in a sense, because the only now I feel like we're seeing more diversity of different cultures. And even then we're not seeing the full breadth of those cultures here in America. We're only seeing like our canned versions that we want to see, mm-hmm. if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I mean, I also see that in a lot of Chinese brands that are up and running, that are yeah. becoming more yeah. popular. A lot of Chinese makeup brand, especially I was on this makeup brand uh, spree the other day, and I was trying to purchase some, you know, a very popular Chinese brand makeup right now. And I only realizing that a lot, all the models, almost all the models that I use online were, were white. And I'm not mm-hmm. sure what is it about, even though it is. But honestly, if you're so pop, like if you're so proud of, you know, we're made in China and we're a Chinese makeup brand, yet all the models that you use are white. Um, I don't know. Are you trying to say that now we will have white people to do our models or why, why is that be? Because especially when it comes to makeup, the face, face, it's are different. Like the right. bone structures are right. different. Exactly. So if it's a makeup created for Asian, they they look mm-hmm. white. Like they kind of play on eyelid. I don't have that. I don't have that. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I, I don't know. So I think um, you know, I think that's something that need to be need to be featured on in the future. But you know, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it just it has been such a con- tradition for Chinese brand to putting a white face to the advertising and claiming they're international or they're high fashion mm-hmm. per se. Uh, I don't think it's going away anytime soon unless, you know, the culture superiority <laughs> flipped. Um, and it just, it, I think it's a norm, you know. I've seen more brands are doing it, um, like uh, Chinese um, intimate wear brand called Neiwai. They have been really good at their uh, advertising, basically telling women to, you know, pursue their true self. And they put a lot of... Uh, Asian model or Chinese local models on their advertising. And I really respect that. And I think mm. we're only going to see more and more of that cases. 
Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm almost sure of it. Uh, and I think right now, uh, I think it's just uh, you know the Western brand, the Chinese brand put Western faces are just kind of a phrase. But I am curious though, um, Mag, you talk about you being a model, maybe perhaps coming to Asia at 15 years old. I do wonder if you guys can like interview one of them, who is actually doing that did that Uh, yeah yeah who did that yeah did that maybe not that young but maybe like someone who's like processed that experience and to see what is it like to be the poster of that in china because i've I've seen like i think short dogs of uh of you know those european models uh coming to china and do those uh, modeling Mm -hmm. gig and they live in china you know their experience are kind of isolating to be honest and yeah is more, you know, the industry can be shallowing and especially when you're in a vulnerable spot where you don't speak the language and people judge you by your appearance. It can be, I feel like it could be a harsh experience, to be honest. Right. Uh, but they do where they do again a lot of money and it's almost, <laughs> it's, to be honest, it's almost like the flip side of like saying, we need you because you're white, but that's the only thing. The, the only value you will provide here because we're all yeah. judging by the visual. And that's almost yeah. saying like, it's like a big fuck no to this culture, to be honest, <laughs> in True. some kind of weird way, you know? Thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to join in on the conversation. Connect with us on Instagram at spark underscore podcast and Facebook at The Spark Podcast with Megan Amy, or send us an email at hellosparkpodcast at gmail.com. And wherever you may be listening from, we hope you have the courage to be the spark.